Open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5. First Peter chapter 5, we're going to look at verses 6 through 11. It was just kind of something that uh, sitting beside the ocean and just kind of uh, meditating and praying and thinking, um, I thought through a few passages of Scripture this week, and this one kind of stood out to me, and I just tried to pray through it, and I uh, believe uh, the Lord gave me something to share f- for us uh, this morning. And what we're going to do also, we're going to go back into the Old Testament to Daniel chapter 6, and we're going to read a portion from Daniel 6 as well. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 through 11. I don't know if uh, you've been seeing the reports and the testimonies that have been coming out of student camps this summer, but across the board, there has been a remarkable response to the gospel with students, very unusual Uh, numbers of middle schoolers and high schoolers in various camps throughout the United States, giving their lives to the Lord, surrendering to ministry, giving to missions, uh, making some incredible, God's uh, making some incredible movements. And The enemy, of course, doesn't like that. That's one of the things, not the only thing, but that's one of the things that kind of steered me toward I was thinking about this passage. So we praise the Lord for what he's doing this summer among students throughout the nation. It really is a remarkable time in such a in some ways, you know, we can look and we can look at the news and we can look at the culture and it's very despairing. But God's light and the gospel is also shining brightly and we give him praise for that. First Peter chapter 5, beginning in, in verse 6, I'm reading from the English Standard Version. If you do not have a Bible, we have some In the church lobby, we would love for you to pick up a copy as our gift to you today. If you're able, would you please stand in honor of the reading of this portion of Scripture. So the Bible says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, 
knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Thank you. I want to uh, address the church this morning from the, uh, the title of the message, Shutting the Mouth of the Lion. Shutting the Mouth of the Lion. Let's pause for a minute and ask the Lord to help us today. Father, the reason why we bow our heads and the reason why we call upon your name, the reason why we make our petitions and praises known to you is because we are needy, is because we are absolutely dependent upon you. Because we recognize, Father, in ourselves that, uh, that we're insufficient. We recognize that we are not capable or able to handle this life, the challenges of this life, much less the obstacle of our sin that separates us from you. So... More than we sometimes realize is truly out of our hands, out of our grasp, but we bow our heads before you because nothing is out of your grasp. In fact, everything is, as our text said, under the mighty hand of God. So we bow before you today because we are needy and you are all sufficient. We need you provide. We are in need of mercy and grace. We are in need of conviction. We are in need of transformation. We are in need of insight and wisdom, courage, faith. We are in need of direction. We are in need of the emptying of ourself and the filling of the Spirit. We are in need of a word from you today. And so we bow and we pray. And we ask God that, that you would be gracious and faithful as you always are and you would speak loudly and clearly to each and every one of us, including the one that's standing up doing the speaking That, Father, beyond everything, we would first and foremost hear from you. We ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen. So really, before we get into the passage in 1 Peter 5, I want us to take a step back into the Old Testament because we've kind of 
there's some connections that while we're studying 1 Peter that I want to draw from the episode in Daniel 6 where Daniel finds himself surrounded by lions. So there's, there's some similar language here. We've, we've heard this before about lions and God's people. And Peter is talking about this um, of course, in the, in the midst of, he's writing to a people who are suffering and being heavily persecuted, harsh, brutal, violent, deadly persecution. And so he's drawing out this imagery, but it also harkens back to what we have seen before. So if you would turn back with me to Daniel 6... And I just want to read a portion of this chapter. We'll just, we'll just read it and then draw some connections as we go through First Peter. So I want to start with verse 12. Daniel 6, verse 12. <clears throat> and we'll pick up the context a little bit of why Daniel ends up in a lion's den and what happens when he ends up there. Verse 12 Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. This is King Darius. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel, and he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. So they set the perfect trap. Even the king couldn't get out of it. So when no man can do anything about it, who do we have to rely on? Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you, because I can't. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. No one can help. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then at break of day the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions, As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish, 
The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions to do the impossible? Then Daniel, this is what he wasn't expecting to hear. Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths. And they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no harm was found on him. Here's a very important phrase. Because he had trusted in his God. Because he had trusted in his God. And the Lord sent an angel and shut the mouths of the lions. It's incredible, isn't it? And what Peter is teaching us is that in our day, in living for the gospel, that there's another lion. It's not the lions of King Darius. It's a lion that's actually a lot more fierce to be even more feared. But the same God of Daniel is the same God we serve today. God is still delivering his people today, not from Darius's lions, but from the prowler, the adversary, that one who is like the roaring lion. So I want us just to kind of walk through this passage for a few minutes uh, this morning and uh, equip ourselves and be encouraged as we go out and live our lives for the Lord. The first thing I want us to see in verses 6 through 8 is that the Scripture is instructing us to get ourselves in the right place. How do we shut the mouth of the lion? Well, first of all, we need to get ourselves in the right place place we talk about you know getting in you hear the phrase getting in the right head space and and that kind of thing we 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 need a biblical approach a biblical perspective a biblical understanding of who we are and where we are and what's going on in the world around us and the first thing that we see the the very first thing that peter addresses here is he says Humble yourself. So humility. Humility is the first thing that we are to pursue to get ourselves in the right place. And that's interesting, isn't it? Because no matter where you go in the New Testament, really, you keep seeing this emphasized, how much we need humility. We even got through studying, right? We got through studying verse by verse through Philippians. And, and we saw that humility was so central 
to the church. In fact, it was so central that, that every person, every believer pursue humility that, that Paul would put Christ as our great example, have this mind among yourselves which was also in Christ Jesus. But Peter here says, humble yourselves. Now remember, Peter is talking to a group of believers who are enduring harsh persecution. So you would think in a situation in which you are being daily threatened or suffering or or enduring loss because of your faith in Christ, that, that you're in a situation in which you're already have been pretty humbled So that just goes to show us that pride is so sneaky and can get in in so many different ways that we don't even recognize it and see it most of the time. And therefore, this pursuit of humility in our lives as believers, that is putting God first and everyone else second and ourselves last, that's a constant ongoing struggle pride is always there telling us we're okay telling us we're better telling us to to go our own way to follow our own selves humility pursuing humility is a constant ongoing struggle god is calling us to that work of humility ourselves he says humble yourselves because in essence, we would, it's a much, it's a difficult path to pursue humility. But it's a lot easier when we humble ourselves rather than having the Lord humble us. So we are in a constant situation in our lives, in, in this fallen world and in this fallen flesh, that we have to constantly seek to see and and to admit and to repent. It's a daily thing. It's a daily thing. It's never an issue to where we we get to a certain point and we say, well, I've got the humility thing down now. I can move on. That's, That's actually one of the most prideful things that we can say, right? That we can, most prideful perspective we can have. But notice what he says. Here's, Here's what helps us to humble ourselves. He says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. So the work of humbling ourselves is understanding who we are in relation to God and where we are in relation to God. He says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. We are under The mighty hand of God. God is the all-powerful being of the the universe, and and we stand under him. in, In relation to him, he is above us. And he is the mighty God of all, the ruler of the universe. We need to understand it's easier for us to be humble to humble ourselves when we realize we are not God and we are under the mighty hand of God and God is ruling over all things and ruling over our lives. But not only who we are in relation to God, but where we are 
in relation to God. That is where we are in life. Remember, again, I'm going to keep saying this throughout the message. Peter is writing to a group of people who are enduring suffering. They are suffering. And Peter says, what, you, what, what, what we have to do is humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. In other words, the suffering is not an accident. The suffering has not taken God by surprise. The suffering is not something that kind of slipped in and is interrupting his plan, getting in his way, standing between us and God. God has allowed it. God has a, a purpose for it. So the, the, the thing is, when, when I believe what Peter's communicating is to realize, for us to realize that God knows where we are. And therefore, it allows us to pursue humility under the mighty hand of God. He is in control. He knows exactly where we are. It's in his sovereign plan somehow. He goes on to say, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. So we're still talking about humility. So that at the proper time, he may exalt you. So that at the proper time. So we got to pursue humility. So that at the proper time... God may exalt us. There's a proper time and there's a right way to be lifted out of our circumstances. There's a proper time and a right way, meaning there's there's God's way and there's God's timing. And and we all know it. We've all experienced it. We're probably experiencing it right now. Our timing and our ways are usually not God's timing and God's ways. He says, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time, that's God's timing, that he may exalt you. That's God's way. I think the, 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 the truth here for us to cling to that we might be able to pursue humility even in, even in very difficult, heart-breaking situations is to understand What Peter's saying here is God has an exit plan. God has a plan. Now, Daniel didn't know what that plan was, right, when they tossed him into the den of lions, but God had a plan. He he had an angel waiting. God had a plan. And that's what we, we need to understand as believers. God has an exit plan. And if, if we're not pursuing humility, we, we're probably going to miss it. We're going to miss God's plan. God's going to come through for his children just like he did for Daniel. God's going to come through for his children. So the first thing is humility. Getting ourselves in the right place is Pursuing humility, and that's difficult. We often don't see our need for it, but we need it. The second thing is resting, and we see this. We see that getting ourselves in the right place, we see this in verse 
7, resting in the love of God. Casting all your anxieties on him, and if you're in a situation of hardship and suffering, you're, you have a lot of anxieties. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. When we think about anxieties and facing anxieties and going through anxiety, so many times the root of that, it boils down to um, a fear of the unknown, Something that we don't, we don't know what's coming. We don't know what to expect. We don't know the answer. We don't know the outcome. We don't know the future. And there's a fear about that that causes anxiety in us. And another one is, 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 the, is the inability to control our situation, to control our circumstances, to make, to make the path the way we the way we want it to be, when we're not able to do that, there's all these anxieties that come and, and flood our heart and mind. But Peter says, cast all your anxieties on him. That's, that's what we are to do when those anxieties flare up, when they show up. But here's the question, how can you just cast your anxieties on him? How can you just do that? How can you just release those anxious thoughts and fears and lay them upon the Lord and leave them with the Lord and, and walk away from them and entrust them to the Lord? How, do you, how can you do that? And he gives us the answer, doesn't he? Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. That's how. Resting in the love of God for you. Resting in the love of God for you. Hadn't spoke about it earlier when he was introducing the song, What He's Done. The more we learn how much God loves us, he cares for you God the one who is in control the one who everything is under his mighty hand cares for you the more we understand and learn that the less likely we are to worry about the unknown Because the things that we don't know, he does. The things that we can't control, he does. And he cares for you. So cast all your anxieties on him. So we look to the cross. That's how we cast our anxieties upon him. Getting ourselves in the right place, pursuing humility, resting in the love of God. And the third thing is being spiritually aware. Being spiritually aware. And this is difficult too, really. I mean, none of these things we can really do on our own. We need God's grace 
constantly to help us do these things. But he says, be sober-minded and be watchful. Be sober-minded. Be spiritually aware. Because we just get caught up in the, in the humdrum of life, right? And, 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 the, and the, uh, the, the, the material world and, and the busyness of schedule and, 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 the, and the job and the, and the parenting and the duties and the responsibilities and the schedules and the running back and forth and this and that. And we're all tied up with all of these things and we become spiritually unaware of what's really going on around us and in us. So he says, be sober-minded and be watchful. So we not only need to learn how to get ourselves in the right place with God, humility and resting in the love of God, but we also need to get ourselves in the right place in regards to our enemy. Be sober-minded and be watchful. And that takes us to what's the second point of the sermon this morning is know our enemy. And that comes in verse 8, doesn't it? In verse 8, he says, be be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour We have an adversary. That's why he says, be sober-minded. Be alert. Be spiritually aware. Be watchful. Be vigilant spiritually. Because we have an adversary. And it is the devil. It is Satan. It is our enemy. We have an adversary. That is someone who is opposing us. Someone who is against us. He is our adversary. This is not, he's not imaginary. The devil is not folklore. The idea that there is a real being in this world who has a certain amount of dominion and power under the mighty hand of God, but still a certain amount of dominion and power, a ruler of of darkness. This is not to be trifled with. This is not to be entertained, not to be made light of. In fact, the more we make light of it, the more he prowls, the more he devours. The more we put him on a pedestal in our society, the more he prowls, the more he devours. We're just kind of falling into his deception when we make light of him or when we make much of him. The devil is real. He is dark. He is cunning. And if you are in Christ, he is your enemy. This is serious. It's so serious. There's so much destruction taking place in our lives because we don't realize we have an enemy. And he only has one goal in mind. Jesus says the enemy comes to, to, to kill and to destroy. But I've come that you might have life. We, we have an enemy. By the way, it's, it's one of two enemies. 
The Bible tells us that before we are in Christ, we are at enmity with God. So when we're separated from Christ, our enemy is God. The devil has no problem with us. We're, we're, we're friends with the devil when we're not in Christ. But when we are in Christ, God is our friend and Satan becomes our enemy. So you're going to have an enemy one way or the other. It's which one do you want? Which one do you want against you? Which one do you want to oppose you? Which one do you want to be tearing away at you? God or Satan? We have a real enemy. Now, I'm not an expert on lions. I've only seen the Lion King about a hundred times, but I know this from uh, being in Africa some and uh, lions watching shows. I like Jack Hanna on Saturday mornings. Lions do one of two things. They sleep and they eat. They wake up, they hunt, they kill, they eat. Their belly is full, time for a nap. They wake up, they're hungry, they hunt, they kill, they eat, time for a nap. That's all they do. Peter says, he's like a roaring lion. This is all he does. This is all he does. He prowls around seeking someone to devour. He's on the prowl. We need to be watchful because the, the devil is watching. We need to be watchful because the devil is watching. He's looking. He's trying to find that weak spot. He's trying to find that blind spot. He's, he's, finding, he's finding that area of deception. The thing about being deceived is you don't know you're deceived. The devil loves that. He's trying to find that angle to our flesh, our old desires. He's trying to find that way to take just a little bit of truth that we know, just a little bit of common sense, just a little bit of biblical truth, just, and, and twist it into a big lie. He's a master at using our circumstances as a reason to doubt God. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. That's his end game. That's his purpose. He's just looking for someone to devour, to destroy. He wants to undo the believer. He wants to break up the church. He wants to make the gospel appear ineffective. He, he wants to make Christ appear worthless, not able to save. He wants God to appear faithless, neglectful. He wants, every, he wants the Bible to appear untrue. You see, he can't attack God. He can't do that. Satan can't attack God. He needs his permission to move an inch. So he goes after his children. So 
So we got to get ourselves in the right place to shut the mouth of the lion. We got to get ourselves in the right place. We got to know our enemy. Number three, we got to understand God has an answer. God has an answer to shut the lion's mouth, and that's verse 9. Verse 9, resist him. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Resist him. Don't give in to his charm, to his deceit, to his reasoning, to his logic, to his appeal to the flesh. James 4, 7 says the same thing. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. But here's the thing. How? We come to the same question. How? How can we resist him? Because to be honest, he's far more cunning than I am. He, he's far smarter than I am. In fact, he's the father of lies, so he, he knows how to deceive far better than I know how to pick up on his deception, and he has a lot of experience. I don't have as much experience as he at, at recognizing his schemes as he does of coming up with schemes. And he has far more power than I do in myself, so how am I going to resist him and here's the answer isn't it firm in your faith firm in your faith remember Daniel was delivered from the lion's den by that phrase that says because he trusted in his God So what does it mean for us to resist the devil by being firm in our faith? Here's at least what I think some of that means. It means believing what God has said, believing what God has said over every other voice. Believing what God has said over every other voice. Sometimes that voice is in our head. And sometimes those voices are all around us. But we have to believe what God has said over every other voice. And here's the thing about the Bible, the precious treasure of Scripture. God, God has truly spoken about everything. God has really spoken about everything. So we, as his followers and as his people, are to believe him and trust him. That was the whole test with Adam and Eve, wasn't it? Are you going to believe God said that? Believe him and trust him, sometimes against our feelings, sometimes against all odds. We resist by believing. Faith in God shuts the mouth of the lion it declaws him it defangs him it causes him to flee Satan can't devour us when we are devoted to Jesus Satan can't devour us when we are devoted to Jesus 
And then lastly, we find this faith-boosting promise. So how do we have that faith? Well, he gives us this promise in verses 10, verse 10, to help boost our faith. Because remember again, this is in the context of suffering. And one thing he says there is be firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. So suffering and hardship, when we are experiencing suffering and hardship, that especially renders us vulnerable and susceptible to the schemes of the devil. That's the ground where he loves to prowl the most when we are suffering and when we are in hardship. And so Peter, through the inspiration of the Spirit, gives us this faith-boosting promise to help us be firm in our faith even in suffering and hardship. In verse 10, he says, And after you have suffered a little while... So, yes, suffering is harsh. It's heartbreaking. It's heavy. It's unfair. But it's temporary. After you have suffered a little while, you see the suffering that's the devil's ground to devour, that's a little while. It doesn't seem like a little while when you're in it. But in terms of life and eternity, it's a little while. But there are things that are forever. Suffering as brutal as it can be is for a little while, but there are things that are forever like Verse 10, and after you have suffered a little while, the God, he's forever, of all grace, that's forever, who has called you, that's forever, to his eternal glory in Christ, that's forever. There are some things that are forever that enables us and empowers us to keep believing through the things that are temporary. And then listen to this great promise. That God of all grace who has saved us and has purposed us for eternal glory in Christ, even though we are enduring the sufferings of this life, look what he says. Will himself restore Confirm, strengthen, and establish you. He takes it upon himself to make sure that every single one of his children make it. God does have an exit plan for his people. And that's why verse 11 ends where it does. 
praising him. To him be the dominion, not to the devil. Yeah, he's a roaring lion. He's prowling around. He's seeking someone to devour. He's caused a lot of destruction. He doesn't win. He doesn't have the dominion. To him, the God of all grace, be the dominion forever and ever. How long? Forever. And then the Bible says, he's not at the end of his book, right? Peter's not at the end of his letter. But he goes ahead and says, amen. In other words, that's final. That's final. Shutting the mouth of the lion. Let's pray. God help us today. We do have an enemy. That's absolutely true. We do have responsibilities of things that we need to do to get ourselves in the right place. That's absolutely true. We mess that up a lot. That's absolutely true. But you are the God of all grace. And that's final. Would you speak to us, Father, and help us to be obedient in responding as believers, how we need to respond to your word, or as unbelievers to respond to Christ as our Savior and Lord today? Would you make it so? We ask in Christ's name. Amen.